Hi, my name's Josh, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Church podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that, by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. So if you remember last week, if you were here last week, you'll know that I talk about what it means to be a truth teller in someone's life. I would encourage you to uh, check that out because it kind of builds on what I'm going to talk about today. And that really is out of the Ephesians reading. So if you want to look up Ephesians with me, I'm going to make, some, I'm going to make six points out of that Ephesians text that I'd love for you to know about. As I was thinking about it, specifically what I want to look at today is this idea of anger and what we do with it. And as I was thinking about anger in ourselves and in our culture, I found an article about um, folks who are in prison who uh, use their time there to sue the state for unfair or cruel conditions. And I was interested to see some of the things that they're suing the state for. Here are a couple. There is a suit currently about... uh, the uh, prisoners suing the state, uh, how they are served chunky peanut butter instead of smooth. There is another suit about the mail sometimes being delivered while they're napping. There is another suit about how they are forced to listen to country music. I agree with that suit, actually. So uh, that one makes sense to me. Uh, in fact, there are over 39,000 suits of folks behind bars complaining about cruel and unusual punishment that they are being subjected to. And I know some of those are true, but a lot of them are nonsense. But my takeaway from the whole article was this. Everybody's angry about something. Everybody's just angry about something. In fact, social commentators say today that we live in the era of rage. The era of rage. Maybe that resonates with you a little bit. As soon as I read that, I was like, yeah, that's probably true. Which is all the more reason that Ephesians 4 matters. As we read... The Apostle Paul writes, be angry, but do not sin. This is one of those Bible verses that's always stuck with me. That always bothers me. It's like a rock that's gotten stuck in my shoe. Be angry, but do not sin. What does that mean? How do you do that? Because if you've ever been angry, and I know you have, it probably doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, and yet somehow we find ourselves in sin. And the Bible makes it really clear that It's a very serious offense, one that we need to pause and listen to. We need to examine our own motives. We need to think about our actions. And so I see six things from Ephesians 4 that Paul is talking to us about. Now let me first just note right off the bat that anger in and of itself is not a sin. The Bible tells us that God gets angry, but right away we've got to be careful there because we need to examine what lies behind our anger. It's kind of like this. In my Camry, I have a little light on the dash that when I get down to less than 30 miles in my gas tank, the light comes on and says, you're almost out of gas. Now, sometimes when that light comes on, it really bugs me because it always seems to come on right when I'm in the middle of nowhere, just after I pass the last gas station and I'm 50 miles from anywhere and I only got 30 miles to go. So if I told you that... I'm going to take my car down to the DeLuca Toyota and I'm going to have them disable that light so it no longer bugs me. You would say, that's dumb. Because it is. It's dumb to disable a warning light on my dash. The problem isn't the light. The problem is my empty gas tank. 
And the same thing can be said about anger. For many of us, the problem isn't anger, it's what lies behind the anger. That's our problem. Psychologists say that anger is often a secondary emotion, brought on by something or someone else. Oftentimes, our anger is brought on by hurt. Maybe a physical pain, maybe an emotional pain. Maybe some kind of relational conflict. You feel rejected, and so you get angry. Sometimes when we look at our anger, when we really examine it, we, we notice that there's a grandiosity behind it. We just can't believe this is happening to us. Don't we deserve much better? Why us? Why not someone else? And we're hurt. Another root behind our anger is simple frustration. Things aren't going your way. Your schedule's controlling you. When you're at the grocery store, the other lane that you didn't pick is going faster than yours. Your kids don't listen. They don't do what you told them to do, and you feel helpless. You feel angry. You're frustrated. Fear can also trigger anger. Often does. You may remember in the scriptures when Jesus and his disciples are on the boat, and the storm comes up, and Jesus is sleeping. Mark 4 tells us that Jesus goes, or his disciples go to him, and they wake him up. And actually what it says is they wake him up demanding, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? So how does Jesus deal with, his, with their anger? He doesn't say, why are you so angry? He says, why are you so afraid? Sometimes when I'm paying my bills, I get a little grumpy. Because I'm afraid that when they're all paid, there'll be no money left. Sometimes when the kids get home late, and I'm frustrated with them, and I lash out at them, it's because I'm afraid that they might have been in an accident. Sometimes people get resentful at our government because they're worried that the folks in power will arbitrarily eliminate their benefits or close our parks or give what we think is ours to someone else and they don't deserve it. And it's all out of fear. We get hurt. We're frustrated. But the Bible says, do, be angry, but do not sin. And then it says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Whoa. This is a tough one for me. When I first got married, a friend of mine, um, who I respect and look up to, said to me that he and his wife had never had a fight, not a single fight. Now, even before I, were mar I was married, Bruce and I were pretty skilled at that fighting, actually. So you might imagine how small I felt when we had not been married that long and we had a, a, our first marriage fight. It felt like a failure. So let me suggest to you this on this idea of not letting the sun go down in your anger. It is the best. It is the optimal way to live a life. But sometimes you just got to go to bed. Sometimes you just got to go to sleep. Sometimes the less optimal way to live has to happen, and it takes time to resolve some things, and you just don't have a choice about it. I kind of think of like not letting the sun go down in your anger is kind of like this. Imagine that you're watching a football game, and we'll assume it's the Gators because if it's not your favorite team, it should be. And we'll say it's a close game, final minutes, the officials make a bad call, and then the Gators lose. Now, maybe you get angry at such things. I know I have. And then if you're watching that game, you probably have noticed that what makes matters worse is that they replay that bad call over and over and over again. And I just find the anger inside of me just rising up, like the injustice of it all. You know, I'm forgetting about, like, famine and whatnot. Football is what matters. 
and I get really angry, and then you turn on like the post game or ESPN, what do they show? That dumb clip over and over and over again. This is kind of what happens when we go to sleep with our anger. It just sticks with us. You go to bed angry, you're going to wake up in the shower next morning, and you're still going to be simmering. And what I've noticed, both in me and some other folks, is that if this is the way that you don't resolve your anger, if you go to bed multiple times in a row while still being angry, it becomes your norm. You become an angry person. You don't just get angry, you are angry. And we've met, we've met these people, haven't we? Not you, nobody here, I'm sure. But there are people who anger is their characteristic behavior. They're just like little time bombs waiting to explode. And you say one little thing or they see something and boom, they just light up. That can easily come for folks who have not dealt with what's going on in their hearts and they just let the sun go down in their anger and over and over again. I'll also say that psychologists say that a lot of anger, maybe as much as 95% of our anger, is responsible for depression. We see that in the Bible as well. There was a guy named Jonah in the Old Testament. God told him to go talk to Nineveh. They would repent. Jonah says, no thanks. God takes care of that with his big fish on the ocean. Even once Jonah gets there and tells the people that God says to repent very half-heartedly, and they do, Jonah is angry. He is mad at God. He actually becomes this pouting prophet. And it turns into this depression with him. That's actually how the story ends. His anger turns inward. So don't sleep with anger. Don't let it linger unresolved in your life. Don't let it become a part of your disposition. Because then it becomes an actual part of you. Paul then goes on to say, don't make room for the devil. Anger in and of itself may not be sinful, but it does open this door that Satan wants to get into. We don't know what follows in our lives sometimes when we get angry. You might remember the very, one of the very first stories in Scripture. Cain and Abel. They both bring sacrifices to God. God accepts Abel's. He rejects Cain's. And he rejects Cain's because he says Cain's attitude is wrong. He says to Cain, if you can change your attitude, I'm going to accept your gift. But then he also warns Cain... Right now, anger is crouching at the door of your life. Cain doesn't change his attitude. And what follows is shocking. Murder of his brother. Still more whole war yet is that it's not that shocking anymore. We're not that shocked when people get angry and hurt each other. Today, people will be murdered out of anger. Other people are going to die because they're internalizing this anger. And that inside of them is creating a poison that they can't get out. Countless relationships that you and I have had have died little by little from resentment. Anger that grows inside of us and erodes the foundations of trust and love. It happens all the time. It's this devastating force. And the consequences of anger should sicken us. Proverbs 14 puts it this way. An angry person does foolish things. A couple chapters later, Proverbs 29 says, A hot-tempered man commits many sins. Remember Alexander the Great? Famous from history. You may know that he conquered the world. But what you may not know is that he couldn't conquer himself. 
he had this dear friend, a guy named Cletus, a general in his army. And one night, Cletus got drunk and was kind of making fun of Alexander in front of some of the troops. Alexander got blinded by his rage, and he snatched out a spear from a guy nearby, and he threw it at Cletus. Now, he was trying to throw it near him. This is what he writes. Trying to throw it near him to scare Cletus, but Alexander's aim was quite good, and he hit him and killed him. This was a childhood friend of his. He was then overcome with guilt, and actually he tried to take his own life. His men had to stop him from doing that. For days and weeks he laid sick with the idea that he had killed his best friend. This is Alexander the Great, the guy who had conquered many cities, countries, and empires. He could not conquer himself. He opened that door. He opened that door of anger, and when it was open, other things came through. Satan gained a foothold. Paul then goes on to say, let no evil talk come from your mouth. Let no evil talk come from your mouth. Evil talk can be used like a weapon in the life of any person. Proverbs 12 says that sometimes our words are like the thrusts of swords. We destroy each other with our own language. We underestimate all the time its destructive capabilities. It's critical that we begin to watch what we say and how we say it. Again, from Proverbs, because it's so wise, 15 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Our words can either cool down or fire up an already angry situation. So then Paul goes on to say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God in our anger. I'm trying to think of what that meant, so I came up with just a little analogy. Maybe it's a little dorky, but just imagine for a second that you like golf and you want to get better. You want to become a better golfer. And so the thing that you do very naturally is you hire a pro, a pro to help you get better with your game. You do that and your game starts to get better. Little by little, week by week, you start getting really good. So much so that you're, there's a tournament coming up and you're like, you know what? I'm going to play in the tournament. I think I got this. Pretty good. The pro is excited for you. Yeah, you're, you're hitting it really well. Go ahead and sign up for that. Do it. You go to the first tee, you tee up the ball, and then you just crush it way out of bounds. You shank it hard to the left. And this anger gets up inside of you. And then you start forgetting everything the pro taught you. Your game just goes from bad to worse as you start walking this course. And not too long, you're down by a lake, you hit another bad shot, and you just chuck your club right into the lake. Now, maybe on a little bit later, you realize you've been acting like a small child. So you somehow fish that club out of the lake, and you go and see your pro again. He's willing to work with you. You start to get better again. There's another tournament. You sign up. You're in this tournament. You're on the putting green. You miss a putt. You chuck your putter into the woods. If that sort of behavior happened again and again and again in you, how long do you think that pro would keep working with you? Not so long because you'd be out of clubs. But beyond that, because <laughs> you're a jerk. The Bible describes God's Holy Spirit as sort of the resident pro that lives inside of us. And when we humble ourselves before Him, when we acknowledge our sins, when we know that we need a Savior and we say so, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And His mission is to dramatically improve our game, to deal with our anger. And every time that we get angry, we are intentionally forgetting what he's taught us. 
Anger causes us to turn a deaf ear to the Holy Spirit's counsel. He speaks God's word to us. In lots of ways, he wants to give us the coaching manual. But when we get angry, we lose control of our lives and we stop listening. We distance ourselves from him. But this is a friend that we cannot afford to alienate. So let's not end there on that negative note, though. There's one final thing that Paul points out to us. Before I get to that, though, let's note about anger and some different things that we've been taught. Some of you have been taught with your anger that the way to deal with it is to suppress it, to push it deep down inside, cover that over. That even as your world is raging around you, even as you're boiling inside, you are supposed to suppress it. What happens, though, is that you end up trying to hold, it's like holding a beach ball under the waves. You can't do it. It's going to eventually pop back up. Another extreme some people have been taught is that when you get really angry, some, par- some therapists say, oh, well, you should express it. Scream therapy. Just get it out. I found that when you get that in that place, it only intensifies your anger. It does not suppress it. You get angrier. So I don't think suppression or expression are the way to go. I think replacement is the way to go. We need to replace our anger with something far better. And this is what Ephesians says. Put away from you all bitterness, wrath, anger, wrangling, slander, together with all malice. Paul says, basically, don't choose it. Get rid of anger and replace it with something else. What would you ask? Well, look what he writes. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So, this week, this week, when you feel yourself getting angry at the things that you normally get angry at, or maybe even after you've already gotten angry at something, I want you to try to replace it. Seek the image of God that he has put in you. Ask yourself, what is it, what's it going to take for me to be kind or tender or forgiving in this moment to this person or in this situation? It's not impossible. It takes practice. And so if you're not good at it, it's just because you haven't practiced enough. But I want to remind you today that this is actually who you really are. This is who God imagined you to be from the dawn of time. He knows that with him, you guys can do this. It's who you're meant to be. I'm going to be working on it. I hope we can work on it together. Because I don't want us to anymore allow this to control us. Because when it doesn't, we become different. We become the antidote to this age of rage that we live in. That's the message of Christ for us. We should not look like the rest of the world. We have something way better. So let me pray for you. And me. Father, we come to you with humble hearts, acknowledging that we are people who are quick to anger. We speak far too fast. And then we justify our anger. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways in which we try to make our anger seem righteous. And instead, Lord, I pray that we would be people who are loving and forgiving and tender and kind, even when that isn't what's happening around us, even when the people that we love or that we work with or that we are surrounded by are not that for us. I pray that we would listen to the Holy Spirit, the pro that you've given us, to be who you've imagined us to be. Thank you, God, that this is not uh, some mild exercise, but this is a way to transform us. And as that transformation happens, we know that you will be glorified, not us. Thank you, God, that we can be healed. In your name we pray.
Amen. Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, on our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.